Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you, Lockport. We're really glad to have you here. I just want to encourage you uh, to do something that you would never thought you'd hear me say. Get out your smartphones right now, okay? I'm not going to ask you to crush them or turn them off or anything. I want you to do something, okay? Get out your smartphones. If you have a dumb phone, just leave it in your pocket. If you have a smartphone, get it out. Go to the App Store. Do a search. Go to your App Store. Droid or iPhone, doesn't matter. Do a search for Parkview. And we should be the first app that comes up. Ladies and gentlemen, you now have to go to a church that has their own iPhone app. I'm telling you. Go, go search it out. Download it. It'll look a little bit like P for Pandora. But no, it's P for Parkview. You can go on there. You can get sermons. You can get uh, some of the music things we've done. And, and the reason we do this, the reason we've done this is not because we want it to be cool. It's because we want to give you an easier way to be able to spread the word, to be able to invite somebody else. Say, hey, you ought to see what's going on at Parkview. Here's an app you could download right here. It's free. You could get sermons right on there. You get all this information on there and you can tell them what's going on. We want you to, uh, we've still got a bunch of uh, Easter services left. We want you to invite people to come and to be a part of this. And we're really glad that you're a part of this. I know some of you are maybe walking in because somebody twisted your arm. You're like, I'm not sure if I belong in church or not. You're feeling a little uncomfortable. Listen to me really carefully. Jesus was more comfortable with non-church people than he was church people. Okay. This is, thank you. You're right. And the non-church person said, amen. Thank you. I mean, this is who, this is what we're talking about here. Jesus was always comfortable. As a matter of fact, I would say that he preferred to be around non-church people. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's really interesting. One of my favorite realizations over the last year is that the fact that Jesus liked hanging out with those people more than he did the church people. I, we, we did a, I did a sermon on Matthew a couple of uh, months ago. And, you know, we think of Matthew as like St. Matthew, you know, right? One of the final four gospel guys, right? And we're, we're like, oh, yeah, Matthew. Matthew was the lowest form of sinner. He was lower than a prostitute. He was a tax collector. And when Jesus called him to be his disciple, immediately they went to Matthew's house and had a party. And I just love the thought of Jesus at the Matthew party. Because the more I think about it, Matthew's party would have been more like a National Lampoon movie than it would have been a church service. You know what I'm saying? They weren't drinking Diet Coke. They were doing jello shots at the Matthew party. That's what I'm talking about. That's why the religious people always accuse Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard. Not because he was, but because he hung out with those people. They called him a friend of sinners. I believe that if Jesus had a license plate, it would be this one. Friend of sinners. That's who he'd be right there. I, I don't know if that goes on the back of his you know, camel or what, but I think that's what he would do. So all I'm saying is if you're not used to church, relax. Okay? There are no religious people here. If there are, they're visiting from another church and... You know, they're trying to figure out how we did 109 baptisms last weekend at this church, which is cool. And why, why in the world we have 12 Easter services, okay? And we welcome you religious people too. Here's what I'm saying. Listen, I don't care if that bump in your pocket is a flask of vodka or a King James Bible. Everybody's welcome here. All right? Please keep both of those things in your pocket, okay? We did do a bunch of baptisms last weekend. I wanted to show you a couple of pictures just because I thought they were fun. This is Tiffany Garza. She got baptized in this rock shirt, and I did not even recognize this rock band. They were the Black Veil Brides. Any Black Veil Brides fans in here? Yeah, I didn't hear. They look like this, year, this generation's version of Kiss, and I'm just laughing as I think about what it would have been like if I could have gotten baptized in my Kiss t-shirt. I think that's cool. That speaks to who Parkview is. 
this is the other one. This is my friend, Mike. Um, Mike, is, Mike is a guy, believe it or not, I work out with. He does all the lifting and I just kind of sit there. And, uh, and I show you this picture of Mike because I know some of you guys are like, okay, I'll come for Easter, but Jesus is for wimps. I dare you to call Mike a wimp. That's all I'm saying. I, I double dog dare you. I want you to put all of your preconceived ideas about Jesus and church aside for a few minutes. And let's try to figure out why two billion people across the planet are in some way celebrating the resurrection Jesus Christ this weekend. Let's pray. God, I just pray for your spirit to be upon this place right now. I pray that uh, whether we're uh, very religious people that walked in here or we're very far away from you, unreligious people that walked in here, that we could all just settle in and allow you to show us something new about Easter today and maybe touch us in a way that we haven't been touched in a really long time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're trying to make it easier for you all the time around here uh, to be able to come and be a part of Parkview. We started another set. We started a very successful Saturday night service at Lockport. Uh, we're getting ready to break ground over here at the Orland campus over on that side of our building. We're going to be uh, adding some foyer space and a chapel. Uh, because we, we need to have a place over here where we can do weddings and funerals. And, and because right now it's kind of hard to do them in here. And we can't take caskets upstairs to any room or downstairs to any room because our elevator is too small. And we could stand up the coffin, <laughs> but that could be awkward. That is funny right there, isn't it? That is funny right there. The resurrection of Jesus was just as crazy, really, if you think about it. Luke 24, they saw Jesus, and it says they were startled. This is after he rose. They were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's me. Touch me and see. And that's my prayer for you, that you will somehow be able to see Jesus in a new way today. Don't be startled. Don't be scared. Don't be weirded out by it. He is alive, and we want to talk about it. We're starting a series uh, called Graceonomics today. Uh, obviously, the economy of grace. We want to study what grace is about. And we're going to look at the resurrection and we're going to look at what the resurrection did for people. Okay. Uh, and we're just going to look at some character studies. We're going to talk about Mary Magdalene. We're going to talk about John Mark. We're going to talk about uh, several characters that interacted with the risen Jesus and, and what that meant in their life. Because Graceonomics is about becoming people of the second chance, understanding that we all get a second chance. It's amazing grace and understanding that we need to be people of the second chance. That's Graceonomics 101. Uh, so I want to start today with Peter. Uh, I just thought that that was a great idea. Last Easter I started talking about Peter a little bit, and I thought, you know what, I'd like to do the whole sermon on that next Easter. So that's what I've done. And I know that a lot of you grew up Catholic. How many of you grew up Catholic? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, look around. I just want you to know, you know, look around and go, okay, I won't be the only person in hell. All right, great, good. Other people came to this church. Good. Okay. Peter was for you the first pope, right? I mean, he, he started the church. This was really, really important. And you know he had a basilica and you know he was important, but you don't really know that much about Peter and how much the resurrected, resurrection changed him. I have always been a Peter fan because I'm a lot like Peter, not any of the good ways, but all of his dumb ways, okay? He was always, you know, loud-mouthed. He was always impetuous. He was always the charge-ahead kind of guy without thinking anything through. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. One time Jesus called him Satan. Do you realize this? I mean, that's pretty funny. He calls him Satan. You get, get, get away from me, Satan. You're bugging me, okay? That, that is the kind of guy that I could relate to. That's who Peter is. That impetuousness also gave him the courage to be the only guy that got out of the boat, 
right? I mean, yeah, he faltered, but he got out of the boat. He was the only guy in the Garden of Gethsemane to, to pull out his sword and try to defend Jesus. He cut a guy's ear off in the garden. I mean, he's a lousy swordsman, but his heart was right, okay? At, at least he was ready to do this. But I, Jesus named him the rock. And I don't think it's because he looked like Dwayne Johnson. I think it's because he knows that, that the church is going to need a leader after he is gone. And Peter was the kind of person that could be that guy. But the truth about Peter is, before he became the leader of the first church, next to Judas, he was the biggest failure out of all of the disciples. Epic fail. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. Because it's Graysonomics. That's what Graysonomics is all about. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't, I, I don't think probably very many of you walked in here today and thought, you know what, I sure hope we hear a sermon on Jesus loves me because I'm really good. Because there aren't very many of us that would fit into that category. If you do feel that way, good for you. Jesus said, I have not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. And that's never more important than on Easter weekend. Deep down inside, we all know we have guilt. We all know we have shame. Have you heard of the website called postsecrets.com? Um, it's a very, very crazy phenomenon. This guy named Frank Warren, back in 2005, started this website by going in D.C. out, and he gave 3,000 postcards out to just random people in Washington, D.C., and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a secret on there that you've never told anybody and the postage is all paid, stick it in the mailbox and send it to me. And the response was overwhelming. And from that, he started a website. And now, every week, thousands upon thousands of people send in random postcards to Frank Warren, who is now called the world's most trusted stranger. And, and they send in these postcards to him. And every week, he posts 10 of them on his website. Um, it's not a PG website. I, I don't recommend you going there, but I went today because I thought it was really intriguing how many people have secrets that they'd be willing to, to send in. I'll just show you a few of them. Somebody sent this one in. I can't believe in God. He'll know I only believe because I'm afraid of hell. And this one. It's really sad. I chose happiness. The rest of my family's all sad, but I chose happiness. How about this? He's at war. I'm scared. I'm worried. I miss him terribly, but I can't tell anyone. I'm not his wife. This one really got me. I travel so much because I know I won't kill myself if I already paid for the trip. 521 million visitors to postsecrets.com. Why is that? Because most of us are walking around with a sense of, if you only knew me, you couldn't possibly like me. Addiction counselors, psychologists will tell you that the function of alcohol and drugs in most people's lives is to alleviate some sense of nagging sense of something being wrong with them, some sense of shame. So the drinking or the drugs or the cutting or the gambling or the overeating or the undereating or whatever it is that they're addicted to is a way of masking the pain of shame. Alcoholics Anonymous has a slogan. They say, our sickness is only as bad as our secrets. I imagine all of us have had somebody at some point say to them, you should be ashamed of yourself. Might have been your parents, right? I like this bumper sticker. My mother's a travel agent for guilt trips. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had an experience one night. I was driving down a strange road, and uh, I was speeding, and I got pulled over. 
lights started flashing, so I handed out my license and my insurance. And it turns out, not only had I been speeding, but my tag had expired, and I hadn't changed my driver's license to the address where I had been living for six months. Just kind of, you know, really messed up. I had three strikes against me. A police officer pulled me over, and he looked at my license, which was a commercial driver's license at that point, and he said, well, I see you have a commercial driver's license. And he proceeded to lecture me about how, as a professional driver, I ought to be more careful. I ought to know better than all this stuff. And I'm like, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a professional driver. He's like, why do you have a CDL? And I'm like, well, it's because I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I have to have it to drive the church bus. It was the truth. We had a bus back then, and not, you know, I'm like the only guy around that could drive it. Lonnie wasn't going to drive it, so it was me, you know. And, uh, and, and so I had a CDL. So, so, so he goes, you're a pastor? Oh. And he turned and walked back to his car, just left me there for what seemed like an eternity. I didn't know what he was going to do. I didn't know if he was going to come and kill me or come up and hug me or what. He came back up to the window, and he, said, he gave me my license and my insurance back, and he said, I just can't give you a ticket. You need to be careful, but I just can't give you a ticket. And I wasn't going to argue, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I'm not kidding. Next words out of his mouth were, I haven't been to confession in years. <laughs> I'm like, where's my little curtain, man? This would be so good if I had a little curtain right here. Put one in my car, right? And he went on to lament about how disappointing it was to his mom that he wasn't going to church anymore. And I'm just imagining this large Italian woman with her little rosary beads over a pot of spaghetti praying for her son. And, and, and all the guilt and the shame that this guy was dealing with. So as God's representative, I did everything that I could. I invited him to church. I gave him a brochure about our church. I told him that God really loved him and God really cared about him and all those things. And here's my number, call me, and all those kinds of things. And, and, and then I drove slowly away and... And I, don't get me wrong, I was happy for my good fortune, but I was very sad for his relationship with his Heavenly Father because it was based on guilt and shame. And there's so many people walking around in that predicament. Maybe it's you. Maybe you came in there. That's who Peter was. Let me start the story with the Last Supper, and uh, I'll take you through just briefly some of the things that happened in his life. Uh, it's the Last Supper. Jesus says, hey, I'm getting ready to go die. You're all going to run away. And, and, and Peter says, no, not me, Jesus. I'm not going to run away. And Jesus says, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I will never do it. I mean, these other guys, yeah, you know, they're weak, but I will never do it. So they arrest Jesus. They take him to the chief priest Caiaphas' house. He's, he's there uh, in the trial going on at this point. And, and we get to the courtyard scene, where the courtyard of the chief priest, where all these people have gathered around. And Peter and only one other guy were even bold enough to follow Jesus. The others ran away. So give Peter some credit. We get over to John's version, John 18, and somebody says, hey... You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He said, uh, no. No, I'm not. Listen, this is important. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. And Peter was also standing with them warming himself. Just, just hang on to this scene for a minute, okay? So Peter does what he always does. He overestimates his spiritual strength. 
right? He never should have gone there in the first place. I'm sorry, but I used to watch Hee Haw. I lived in Oklahoma. You young people don't know what I'm talking about. But Buck Owens would go to the dock in Hee Haw. Some of you old people, you know what I'm talking about? He'd go in and he'd say, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. And the doc would say, well, you should stay out of them places. That's what he would say. And it was funny because there wasn't much to laugh at back in those days, in the 70s, okay? This is Peter, right? Okay, he, he, he should have, uh, you know, it's easy to stand up and say, oh, I will never fall away from you, Jesus, when you're standing with your disciples in the empty room and there's no enemies around. But all of a sudden, when you're warming yourself at the devil's fire and you're around a whole bunch of other people, it wasn't as easy. Another girl sees him and says, hey, you're the Jesus guy, and he denies it. And then another one sees him and he denies it a third time, and this time he adds a little swearing in for emphasis. I am not one of them, and swears about it. And Luke says, just as he was speaking, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. I don't know if you ever noticed this next part before. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Somehow, some way, in the middle of this scene, as soon as... Peter does exactly what Jesus had predicted and disappoints Jesus in probably a bigger way than Judas did because he knew what was going to happen. Their eyes meet. Verse 61 says, And Peter remembered then the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He's weeping bitterly because not only of what he has done, but because he knows, the Lord knows what he's done and he wept bitterly he was so ashamed they did a great job with this in the passion of the christ movie let me ask you a question this easter have you ever heard the rooster crow have you ever felt the look from a spouse from your parents from your kids from god from whatever have you heard the rooster crow and realized that you've blown it I'm pretty sure all of us have. And some of us probably walked in here today thinking that it was still going on. And the problem is, when you have guilt, when you have shame, you can't have hope. Isn't that right? It's impossible to have hope when you've got guilt and shame. So Peter gets to the resurrection, okay? Jesus is crucified. There's Saturday goes by. Sunday happens. We get to the tomb. The ladies go to the tomb. The tomb is empty. They come back to the disciples and they say, the tomb is empty. He's alive. And, and, and we pick up in John 20. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love the Bible. Don't you love the Bible? Okay, this is John. The other disciple is writing this. This is John. He's writing about the most important moment in human history, and he has to add a whole sentence about the fact that he won the race to the tomb. Is that a guy or what? I mean, I love this. A guy is always a guy. I don't care what happens. Ladies, you're all like, oh, look how much I paid for this. I don't care how much you paid for it. How fast did you get to the store? That's all I want to know. Come on. He, I, he's writing in third person now, John says, bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and he went straight into the tomb. Because <laughs> that's Peter, right? He's like, hey, let's go. Get out of the boat. Let's go into the tomb. I don't know what's going on. Then the other disciple, me again, who reached the tomb, went, also went inside. And he saw and believed. John's saying, I went inside the tomb and I saw and I believed what the women said, that, that the scriptures said that Jesus was going to be 
raised from the dead. I believed it. But look what he says. They, Peter, anybody else that was there, still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. They still don't get it. There's still no hope for Peter, I don't believe, at this moment. He's seen the empty tomb. He rushed in there. He, he, he lost the race to, you know, John. And he gets there and he runs in and he sees the empty tomb. But there are still a lot of questions. It makes me think so. there's so many things going on behind the scenes that we don't know. When we get over to verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, the disciples. But there's no real mention of resolution. Okay. The disciples, they all ran away and now they're back and they're overjoyed. Right. But I believe that there's still some gigantic elephant in the room for this. Okay. What did Peter feel like when he first saw Jesus alive? Was he embarrassed? Was he guilty? Was he shameful? I mean, the last time he saw Jesus was on the cross. And the time before that was when he got the look. And he's feeling the shame. And yeah, he's alive now, which is cool. I have hope for mankind. I have hope for for the people that are all around me. But do I have any hope for myself? It's a great line in Hunger Games. They they ask, why are are there Hunger Games? And, And the answer is, because hope is the only thing stronger than fear. Give them hope, because hope is the only thing stronger than fear. I wonder if that doesn't relate to Peter. Sure, this Easter thing is awesome if it happened. It's awesome for mankind. You know, I'll follow him. But what does it mean for me? Then we get to John 21. And for some reason, the disciples have gone out fishing all night and decided to just get away. I don't know. They do what they do. They go get away. They fish all night. They don't catch anything. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. And the disciples didn't know that it was the resurrected Christ who called out to them. This is the same scene that happened three years ago when he called them in the first place. And he says, have you caught anything? And they said, no, nothing. And he said, well, throw your nets on the other side. And they complied, and the net was full of fish. And all of a sudden, they're in this same place, and the same guy shows up. And this time they realize it's Jesus again. Last time they didn't know him. And he says the same thing, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they throw their nets on the other. I mean, they were just on this side of the boat. Now they're on this side of the boat. They get all these fish, and they realize that this was a miracle. And they're excited because they realize that it's Jesus. And so what does excited Peter do when he realizes it's Jesus? He jumps out of the boat. He literally took his cloak off and he jumps out of the boat to swim to shore. I mean, the rest of them are going to take the boat into shore, but not Peter. He's going to jump out of the boat because he's so anxious to get over and have a conversation with Jesus until he gets over and starts to have a conversation with Jesus. And he realizes that Jesus is on the shore and Jesus has built a fire and Jesus has cooked breakfast. And all of a sudden, it's just Peter and Jesus. The interesting thing about the Bible's term for the fire in John 21 that Jesus has built is it's a a, a term for a fire of burning coals, which was a little bit different than just your average fire. It was a fire of burning coals. And the only other time this phrase is used in the entire Bible is back in the courtyard of the high priest when Jesus saw Peter deny him three times. I don't know if that's a big deal or not, but it's fascinating to me that all of a sudden, Peter gets around the fire and he sees the same fire and you know how the smells kind of come back to you and all of a sudden, you, real, you know, something just brings it back to you. It's almost as if 
there's this moment when Peter's like, oh, I'm so excited to be back. Oh, yeah. It's just me and you. We need to resolve this. You can feel the plot kind of start to thicken here, can't you? It's getting a little awkward. No way to get away from his shame. Just Jesus and him. What is Jesus going to say? And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? Now think about that question for a minute, okay? Think of all the questions that Jesus could ask of Peter the first time he has an actual conversation with him after the denial, after all the dumb stuff that Peter has done. What are some of the questions you would think Jesus would ask? Peter, have you learned your lesson? Peter, how could you do that to me? Peter, didn't I tell you so? I mean, if I'm Jesus, I pull the I told you so card at least, right? Wouldn't we do this? Peter, how can I ever trust you again? Peter, how can you lead the first church? Peter, you should be so ashamed of yourself. What does Jesus say? Peter, do you love me? You know what that is? That's not a question. That's a statement, isn't it? It's not a question, it's a statement. I mean, who cares if you love me? If I don't love you, I don't care. I don't ask anybody, right? When you were in junior high and you wrote a little note, do you like me? Check this box. Do you not like me? Check this box. You didn't give it to a little girl who didn't, you didn't like, right? I mean, you start with somebody. You don't care if they love you. You don't care to ask them the question if they love you unless you love them. Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. Then he asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. He said this every time. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Okay. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Okay. We get to John 21, 17. We get to the third time. Third time he said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Why did he ask him three times? Because Peter denied him three times. Because that's who Jesus is, my friend. He wanted to make sure, very, very sure, he wanted to make completely clear to Peter, yes, I know you denied me three times, but I know that you love me, and you know that I love you, so three times we're going to have the same dialogue so that you can get it through your thick head that I still love you and I want you to feed my sheep. I still want you to be the leader of the first church in spite of all of the bonehead things that you've done, including denying me three times in my worst and darkest hour. What should we learn from that? We should learn that we should never let shame stop us when it comes to grace. That's Graceonomics 101. There's only one thing I know of in the world that can undo shame, and it's love. Regardless of who you are or where you've been, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? He's going to forgive us our sins. That takes our guilt away. He's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means he's going to take our shame away. Don't just look at the cross. Don't just look at the empty tomb and go, well, I'm glad I'm forgiven, but God sure must still be disappointed in me. How could he be disappointed in you if he wasn't disappointed in Peter? If he picked Peter to still be the leader of his first church after all the things that he did? How could he 
still be disappointed in you. A friend of a friend was a pastor's kid in a small town, and he, uh, there are only two churches in this small town, and, and he was the pastor's son of one of the churches, and he happened to fall in love with and be dating the daughter of the pastor of the other church in town during high school. And they let their things get a little too far, and she ended up pregnant. And you know what a small town is like, and you can imagine what it's like for you know pastor's kids to be in this situation. And he knew this was going to be devastating. He knew his parents could be losing their ministry. Her parents could lose their ministry, could be out of the ministry. All the people are going to be talking. He was devastated. He knew what he had to do for this little life that was going to be born. He knew what he had to do, but he knew the very first thing, the first order of business was to go tell his dad. He said, I went to tell my dad this story. I went to tell my dad what was going on, and as soon as I walked in, I was just breaking, I was crying so much, I couldn't even get a word out. I just broke down. I was weeping bitterly. I, I just think of Peter in, in the courtyard of the high priest. He just couldn't get a word out. And his dad knew that something was wrong, and he could kind of tell, he could kind of sense that, that, that he wanted to confess something. And finally, his father, in, in a way that would remarkably resemble God, could only do one thing. He went over to his bookshelf and he took out his Bible and he turned to Luke 15 to the story of the prodigal son and he read the story of the prodigal son about how the son runs away and does horrible things and then he comes back and how the father is there waiting with open arms for him and he said, while the kid is still crying, can't get, he doesn't know what he's done. He turns to his son and he says, son, no matter what you've done, I will always love you. I could never love you more. I will never love you less. I don't know the rest of the story. Doesn't matter, does it? I mean, I'm sure there were hard times. I don't know if his dad lost his job. I don't know the rest of those the rest of the story. What I know is that is the best example of God I've heard in a really, really long time. Because if you come back to him today, if you're running back to him right now, and you're like, I, I can't even tell you the things that I've done. I can't even admit to you the things that I've done. He is going to turn to you just like the Father did, just like God did in Luke 15, and say, listen, I don't even want to hear anymore. I love you. I know you love me. Go feed my sheep. It's Graceonomics 101. There is nothing that you can do or say that will make me love you any less. Amen. That, that, so sing with me. I dare you to. That's, that's what Easter is all about. Thank you, guys. If you didn't catch that, the song, what they're talking about is Peter and the disciples are singing. They're in the, empty, they're in the upper room again. And this time Jesus is alive and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit to come in. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them and fires them up. And Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2, just a few weeks later, literally a few weeks later, and he gets up and he preaches this sermon to the people that crucified Jesus. And he just... He just preaches this unbelievable sermon about how they crucified Jesus and about how He's the risen Lord. And the people responded in such a way that 3,000 people got baptized and got saved that very, very first day because of Peter's sermon. And all of a sudden, things just blow up. And Peter's being arrested and all kinds of stuff. And he's preaching all over the place. And you get to Acts chapter 4, just a few, just a few weeks later, after all of this, and it says, when they saw these people... 
When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were just unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. That's the change of Easter, my friends. That's Graysonomics right there. I don't care what you've done. I'll ask you three times if I have to. Do you love me? Then sing with me. I dare you to. There's an empty cross. There's an empty tomb. Peter wrote a couple of books of the Bible later on, and he starts his first one with this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sounds to me like an epic fail became epic motivation for our friend Peter, doesn't it? I think the very thing that caused Peter to be the shame guy in the first place is the thing that he drew upon to go lead the early church. I dare say Peter wouldn't have been as good an effective leader if it hadn't been for the failures in his life. Most of God's best leaders were epic failures, as a matter of fact, if you think about it. Why? Because God's grace comes into your life, and all of a sudden, all you can do is go out and tell everybody about it. Hey, you can be a failure, and God is still going to love you. So the morning of the questions, as we prepare for communion, it's interesting, when Peter got out of the boat, and they have this whole dialogue there's two things Peter could do. He could run towards Jesus or he could run away from Jesus. I mean, he did jump out of the boat and he ran towards Jesus. And I think that's important because right now as we take communion, you're going to have a choice to make. Am I going to take this or not? Am I going to believe this or not? Am I going to believe that there is a God of grace that loves me and sent his son to die for me? Is this really true? Am I going to run towards it or am I going to run away from it? It will be your choice. We offer it to everyone we offer this to you. This is Graceonomics 101. And the end of that whole passage really fascinates me. The end of that whole thing of, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. The last thing Jesus says to Peter is, then follow me. I, I dare say that the last thing Jesus would want to say to you today is, then follow me. Let's pray. Lord, as we take communion right now, um, we realize that this is uh, the opportunity to celebrate the death and the burial and the resurrection all in one swoop. And we're going to commemorate your death right now by taking this bread and, and this juice. And, and as we symbolically break the bread and drink this cup, we're remembering that we're celebrating your death on the cross that happened that Good Friday. And the fact that your death on the cross means forgiveness for sins and cleansing from all unrighteousness. It means freedom from guilt and freedom from shame. And it's not about heaven later only. It's about heaven now. It's about a second chance. It's about graceonomics. Lord, if there are people in this crowd today who don't have you or they don't even know if they have you or maybe they used to have a relationship with you or maybe they grew up in a religion or whatever and they're here right now and they don't really know what's going on but they feel like they'd sure love to get in on some of this graceonomics. Would you please just open up to them and let them open up their hearts to you to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. I will follow you. I do love you. 
and we will begin this journey all together. Lord, for all of us as we celebrate the Super Bowl of our year, the time when everything changes, the living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can do nothing but sit here and be very humbled by the fact that you are the king of the universe, but you still open, accept us with your open arms. And nothing we could do will ever make you love us less. Thank you for Graceonomics. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.